0: I'm Arlen Hamilton, and this is Your First Million. I'm a venture capitalist. I started my fund, backstage capital from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story, and so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world, from all backgrounds and walks of life, to learn how they got their first million. And who knows, maybe I'll reach my first million in personal capital while I'm recording this series. There's only one way to find out. Let's go. Hey, it's Arlen. Welcome to Your First Million, another episode, and I am excited about this one. This is Delane Parnell. Delane is the founder and CEO of a company called PlayVersus, which is an e-gaming company, and uh, had him over to my house uh, a couple of days ago because he is making a huge announcement on the day that this podcast drops, which is his company, PlayVersus, just Raised another another fifty million dollars. That's five oh million dollars, bringing his total in the last year and a half to nearly a hundred million. He raised thirty million Series B last year and a fifteen million Series A a few months prior to that, and now has fifty million. And as he describes it, he'll tell you how he did it and, and why he did it. But he'll also tell you why it's not the most important thing in his world right now. So uh, a lot of lessons to take from this. Delane is young and hungry. He reminds me of that team, uh, Justin Kahn and and Michael Seibel and the Twitch team. That's the vibe I get from him. But he is charting his own course. He actually really can't be compared to too many people because he is really charting his own course. I think he will be a one of the black billionaires that we talk about in the coming years and he's doing the work so this is one that you all will enjoy I know it for sure please take a listen I want to just say quick shout out to Mel Robbins congratulations on the launch of your show this week and uh, no matter when you're listening to this podcast check out the Mel Robbins show and uh, check out the episode that we put out a few days ago with me and Mel Robbins the shot of adrenaline that we got from that episode has been talked about online so many times since we dropped that episode i am having the time of my life with this podcast and i really appreciate everybody for tuning in once again this is delaine parnell First time I met you was in Detroit, right? Was that the first time we met each other in person?
1: Uh I mean we we met each other so many times in person. I think the first time may have been in Detroit. I'm yeah. not hundred percent sure.
0: And I was you were like what? You were like 13? No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember you've always just been this young guy who I heard about. The first time I, I think it was the first time it was in Detroit. I heard about you because you were you had worked in venture, yeah, and everybody was talking about you, and they were saying you know because you were like a hometown hero a little bit, yeah, yeah. So uh, what was that? How did you end up in venture?
1: Yeah, so I started doing events in Detroit to to really help uh, you know bridge the gap between the Valley and New York and Detroit through connections and relationships, but also to. Um, to help build up our startup culture. And, you know, through those events, I made a bunch of connections and I really developed a passion for being a support system uh, for for entrepreneurs who are building companies. Uh, and, I, and frankly, I wanted to find a way to monetize that. And, and as you know, like sh- struggling entrepreneurs can't really afford, you know, products or services unless it's going directly toward their business. And so sort of community building initiatives or programs aren't really, you aren't really able to build any big sort of business around that. And, you know, one time I brought Brad Feld out to Detroit with Hodge Flemons. Him and I, we did an event. And, you know, Brad had a book called Venture Deals um, where he sort of, you know, spoke a lot in depth about the venture industry and really helped people understand that industry. Um, And I got advice from entrepreneurs that, um, you know, I was friends with and, and other VCs that I was friends with that, you know, I should go and consider working in venture. And so I studied that book. Made a bunch of connections, talked to a bunch of folks, and I got a couple offers um, to go work at funds, and I decided to take uh, take one that allowed me to stay in Detroit.
0: Now, what was the age we're talking here?
1: I was like twenty years old. I think twenty.
0: How old are you today?
1: I just turned twenty seven. Twenty seven. So tw-
0: at twenty. Around then, you were yeah. you had just discovered the at the time I think it was a new book, the Bradfield yeah, yeah. book. So yeah, so it
1: was a pretty recent book. Yeah,
0: and, and I, I think he's
1: like added to it since
0: he has added. He's had a, an entire like a new edition, and then I think there may be a new edition coming out another time mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, but that was that was one of the main books that I read too. Mm. He he said something about in like an interview or like ten interviews where he said he doesn't care about legacy. He doesn't yeah. care about his legacy. He cares about the now. I get that on a philosophical level. But I told him and I said on Twitter, it's like, it's too late. There's no, there's no way to measure that impact yeah. uh, uh, in, in so many ways. And most of the time, I'm sure the people reading that book were your white male NBA guys or whomever yeah but especially
1: then because uh yeah to work in venture even even analysts or associates it was very it, it was uh it was very common for them to be of obviously like white males that sort of typical background but also NBA candidates or have yeah. graduated with an NBA um it, you know it was uncommon for young certainly African-American, but just young people in general to be employed at venture funds. So that wasn't, that wasn't a the theme yet.
0: What do you, did you think you have back then at 19, 20, did you have a lot of confidence? Were you just kind oh. of like, I should be in the room? Yeah, I
1: think, well, not only did I believe that I should be in a room, but I was willing to work to, to earn my spot. And I think, you know, between that confidence and my work ethic, that always, you know, gave me a seat at the table.
0: Yeah. Because we have, we have a couple of things to cover today because one is we're gonna. I want to talk to you about your your history, and I talk about you know even going even before then, because mm. I, I think that story is really interesting. But today we're announcing, or you've announced that what did <laughs> you What are you announcing today that the the world is seeing right now?
1: Yeah, so we we're announcing a fifty million dollars Series C. So we've now raised ninety six million dollars in the past thirteen months. So an A B and C. In the past 13 months,
0: I have a little issue because I hear these numbers so often. They don't have, it, it takes a while for me to c- come back and re- remember the impact of that. Uh, yeah. Obviously, it's a huge number. And do you at this point, because you, how many months did you say it's been?
1: So we started the company January 2018. Uh, so we're about 19 months old, but we raised our first round in June of last year, um, like May, June. And so since then, we've we've now raised 96 million in the past 13 Right. Months.
0: So do you in that position get to feel the impact of those numbers?
1: To be fair, no. I think, you know, certainly, you know, I feel the impact in terms of the community, there's a lot of excitement uh, mm-hmm. around uh, what that does. It certainly allows me to be a spokesperson or a leader for the community to help introduce other entrepreneurs who look like us who are raising money and for mm-hmm. investors to take me super serious when I do so. Uh, and so that that lowers the barrier for them to get into those rooms and try to raise big checks when they're pursuing venture dollars. But you know, internally, we we don't think about it. Like mm-hmm. We don't think about how much money we've raised. We just had an all hands today. And you know, the message that I'll share it was you know this is certainly exciting it gives us the resources that that we need to to build a really big company but you know this is like a mortgage and you know we now have the land and we're building the property but we still have to return that that money, and we also have to finish that property, and so uh, and so we don't we don't get too caught up in, in drinking the Kool Aid of how much money we've raised, and, and frankly, it's not something that we celebrate because it also means that like we now own less of the company. That's right. Like we're in a really good position from a control standpoint because I hold two seats on our board, but in terms of ownership, like you know, like while still in a healthy position on our cap table, like we now we I certainly own less than I did before, and even less before, right? Yeah. And So um, that's not necessarily something to celebrate because I because I'm the person working with our team every day to build this company. And while our investors are supportive and, and certainly helpful, like they're not in the trenches like we are. And so, you know, we take it serious when we have to give up equity for these resources.
0: Yeah. And so I remember when you when you raised the 30 or so last year.
1: Yeah, last uh, October, November.
0: Yeah, you said it was, uh, you did it because the opportunity was there and you wanted to have something under the reserves. Why raise, if wanting to keep the equity, Yeah and you had reserves, why raise this amount at this time?
1: Yeah, and so that's a great question, by the way. And so we certainly have been really efficient with just the capital that we've raised to date. Uh, and we we and obviously now have even more of a war chest. Uh, so this round, when, when we even started to consider raising another round, which was around May of this year, we received a lot of inbound interest from tons of investors whom we consider in the A and also in the B, and some we just hadn't considered at all. And we've been thinking... Uh, a lot about a few things. Like one, like we're built in, in a nascent market and there's going to be some sort of bubble in this market. And we and we know that the, the work that we're doing in this market is important, but it's going to take time. And so we want to be able to outlast whatever bubble or burst that happens within this space and be comfortable while doing so. The second is there's a lot of really talented companies in this space and teams, small teams who aren't able to who've either found product market fit but unable to scale or are unable to find product market fit in many cases because they don't have relationships with game publishers and we, we're we fortunate to be able to partner with game publishers uh, in a way where they allow us to monetize their IP and but on, and also to be able to integrate with them technically and also operationally and we'd like to be able to go out and acquire some of those groups okay. um, and help them further build our company. Acquire and last, as an
0: acquired. Bring them under yeah, bring the bring umbrella. bring them under the play versus umbrella. Yeah, mm-hmm. and,
1: and in some cases it, that could end up being a standalone product or we might bundle and integrate that product into our brand uh, and platform. Uh, And the last thing is you know, we wanted more partners who believe in, in me and believe in play Versus, believe in our community and the work that we're doing to help us grow. And we were able to find that um, through a lot of the investors that we brought on. Two of them in particular have come on board and also assumed the uh, sort of position of being a CEO coach to me. So Dick Costello and Adam Bain, 301 Advisors, they sort of operate as a group CEO coach. Mm-hmm. I spend majority of my time today, at least with Dick mm-hmm. on that work, given he was the CEO of Twitter. Yeah, they both, um, ha-
0: they both have a an- new. Adam was the COO, COO. Yep. right?
1: Yeah, they're both amazing. Yeah. And they've become essentially an extension of our management team. Yeah,
0: And they came in on this last round. In this last round, right? Yeah,
1: with that, for that exact purpose. So, how
0: important is it for people listening who are thinking about raising, who, who we haven't convinced not to raise? <laughs> uh, how important is it to uh, think about who is putting the money behind you?
1: Oh, it's everything. Yeah, I mean, we, we're we really thoughtful around whom, whose dollars we take um, and what relationships we're able to foster from that. I think there's dumb capital out there, but you have to do your diligence on like the investors that you align yourselves with for for, for many reasons, not just in, even in terms of um, their ability to add value or help, but like that's, that's certainly mm-hmm. one of them, but also just their reputation in the market. You know, we had an investor early on who had some, where there was some fallout from some behavioral issues he had. Yeah. And that sort of stuff can really impact a company young and yeah. so and so much of um, that
0: is happening do you yeah. ever think about that like uh we have at the fund that I run backstage probably 200 investors. Yeah. And I'm like, how do you keep up if someone is a bad actor? For sure. And you find out too late. Do you what, what do you think about that?
1: In the situation that we had, we sort of made a public statement through our PR team where we just sort of said we were in a process of uh, severing ties. Yeah. We talked to our team about our internal and public stance around the issue. And and we advise our board and our other investors. And in an ideal world, we were able to buy that person out of the yes. company. And in the event that we're unable to do that, then we make sure that it's very clear that we're not going to have a working relationship with that investor. Yeah. And then we check in every, every quarter or so to try to buy them out.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a certain type of integrity that has to go along with that. 100%. And then knowing what you're willing to to live with and uh i'm sure that gets as the stakes get higher and higher that becomes something that you think about more let's back up just a little bit because i want to really make sure that everybody understands what play versus is yeah. and for me i was hoping you would explain esports in general because yeah. i can't figure out if it's like fake people running on a screen or if it's cuz there's leagues and i and you all are doing something really special where you're do, you're starting with high schools yeah. which is like a new thing so explain it if you if you could to the to the layman.
1: Yeah, and so um esports is simply a term for competitive gaming. So it's a term that we use to define people playing video games competitively. Not every video game is an esport, but those that are esports, they typically have different levels of play. Um so the most common and most talked about is the professional level where people play esports professionally as NBA stars play, you know, basketball professionally. And so they play in a league environment where they participate on a team or for an organization in a season, typically for a league championship. And and oftentimes that league championship has a prize attached to it. Each game has its own league or format. Some are tournament driven, some are season driven. The best way to look at it is it's almost like the landscape of college sports at the professional level, whereas there's probably one banner. So take the University of Michigan, um, but then that, that one banner or that one organization uh, participates in multiple sports. So you right. have women's basketball, men's basketball, football, um, volleyball, ice hockey, et cetera. That's how esports is a little bit. And so there's like there could be a group like 100 Thieves who has a CSGO team. And also a League of Legends team, also a Call of Duty team. And so and and even then for each game, their team name may be a little bit different, right? If, if assuming that the, the league itself or the publisher itself requires it to be.
0: So are they all it's all these people when they're having these contests, are they sitting down at a at a Console in different cities around the world
1: depends on the game. If it's kind of like what the platform is, so it oftentimes it's PC driven, um, majority of the time. There's like two environments. So there's like there's one world where, depending on the game, where people play in a team against other people who aren't in that same location as them. So it's like the whole team of let's call it five is in a room and they're like using their PC. Via the internet, competing against another team that's also in a room, but like in a different place. But at the professional level, at least today, given the professionalization and all of the investment, it's typically two teams in one in one single environment. So participating in like on an, at a land event, uh, so they're like in some like quote unquote stadium or esports arena where they're competing live with fans and spectators. But like one team on one side, the other yeah. team on the other side, but still playing through the game itself.
0: So I I kind of. Fig- caught that a little bit a few weeks ago. And I gave someone, a musician, uh, this advice because it's like ignorance is sort of kind of breeds some creativity. I said, why don't you have that open for a band, like for an Mm. artist? Like that's the opening. The first 30 minutes is this tournament. Has that ever happened? Have you ever seen that before?
1: Well, we've seen live artists perform at some of these events, um, but I
0: mean, straight up, this is a concert and this is the opening act.
1: Oh no, that actually would be pretty interesting. Um,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, I think there's probably a couple artists where that that sort of culture aligns well, mm-hmm. like Marshmello. That could actually align pretty well because yeah. he's done he's done a lot of stuff with Fortnite.
0: Well. Marshmallow, I have no idea who that is, but like I'm assuming. like an EDM DJ.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, cool. cool. No, he's a, I guess he's like a big deal. In, he's you know. probably
0: a good, big deal. Me not knowing him means
1: nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know him prior to to you know his association yeah. with gaming either. Yeah, so.
0: but that would be kind of cool, right? That's a pretty interesting yeah. idea yeah. for sure. If you do that, invite me to it. I would love, just, I love to see it.
1: VIP, you'd yeah. be uh, one of the founding partners. Yeah, I love it. I love
0: it. <laughs> okay, so so that's great, kind of a foundational. So you saw that. And let's also talk a little bit about your, are they your co-founders? What is science in this whole?
1: So sciences are first investor. So they're not co-founders. Um, you know, I met Peter Pham in March, 2017 at South by Southwest. I was introduced by Susie and the cross-culture team. Yes, and so Susie, Susie is that. She's that Susie is plug.
0: Amazing. Susie Rowe. Yeah, Root. so
1: so Susie, without Susie, not only does Play Versus, never get off the ground but also like she she indirectly helped us find the right lead for our series b and Mm. i don't even think she knows that story i have to share Mm. that as well but um but yeah so Susie, i'm i'm at i'm at this party at south by southwest i'm just chilling and i'm walking through this like all of these people and Susie grabs me and she's like hey do you know peter And I'm like, yeah, of course, because I I knew who Peter was. Peter is a successful angel, and he was one of the co-founders of Science. They previously built Dog Dog Vacay, which is now Rover, Dollar Shave Club, MeUndies, a bunch of other companies. And so Peter and I start to talk. We start talking specifically about esports. And he says, hey, give me your phone number. I want to call you tomorrow about this idea. And the next day, he called me, as he said he would. He's like, I thought a lot about your idea. Why not high school? Mm-hmm. Because the idea that I'd share it with him is that, you know, I was really fixated on building a product uh, that really influenced when, why, and how people play video games. Because I, I, I'd always thought that the biggest company in esports would be the one really centered around competition, right? Like it makes sense, right? If, if you can aggregate IP and build experiences on top of that and sort of become the single place where people gather to play, to spectate, to to sort of manage their teams and programs, then you're likely to build a generational product similar to what Twitch is built for streaming or Discord for communication or Steam for distribution and gaming. But no one that built that at that point for for esports. Right. And so that was my, my idea. And Peter is like, well, that's a really big idea, but high school is a perfect place to start. And then he sort of pitched me on why. And for three months, you know, I came back and forth from Detroit, which is where I was at the time to LA meeting with him and his partners. His partners are Mike Jones, who is the CEO of MySpace, also a really big angel investor based in LA. Tom Dare, who's the like CFO, COO, uh, he he comes from a long finance background is co-founded and sold a bunch of companies also an angel investor and then Greg Gilman who is like their general counsel so he handles all legal he may he may also invest in companies on the side but I'm not sure but anyway I spent a lot of time with them just kind of brainstorming going through the ideation process and then Peter at one point called me and said because I was I was dragging my feet to be honest and Peter essentially positioned it as as if like look you can be a billionaire in LA or you can be worth a couple million dollars in Detroit but like here's the an, an opportunity to do something really special. Like, mm-hmm. do you want to? Do you want to move in, and do this? And at that point, I hung up the phone. And was like, I mean, mm-hmm. just get, let me just do it. And so I got rid of everything. And over a few day period of time, ended up actually like moving out to LA. Did that at like the end of June, 2017, and been here ever since.
0: Did you grow up in Detroit?
1: Yeah, born so, and raised.
0: So, what do you think about that? Because that statement is interesting, and I can certainly understand it. But what do you think about? Do you think about you go out and you build and you bring it back, or do you? <sighs> It, at least when you become this billionaire, which yeah. you will, I can Thank see you. that as clear as day, do uh, you take some of that back to Detroit?
1: So it's, it's interesting. I, I went and met with a guy and I won't, I won't put him on blast here <laughs> because uh, he got he got blasted by Dan Gilbert once about this because uh, he works within the Dan Gilbert camp. I, I met with him right before I left Detroit. He was one of the partners at one of their venture fund, uh, one of Dan Gilbert's venture funds. And uh, and I told him the idea uh, and I was like, man, i love to build this in Detroit. And he he told me like yeah you should go to L A like I don't think that he believed in it to be honest yeah, with you yeah. and so I think he was like yeah no like you should go to L A you should do it like whatever happens happens but but it was in that moment where I realized like given the just current climate it, it, maybe it's changed a little bit but they at least at that point that cl- the climate in Detroit was that you needed basically Dan's support to be able to get anything off the ground and the people he's put in position to be able to find entrepreneurs and support them typically weren't investing in people who look like us, no matter, like, and I had a long-standing relationship with him, you know, and certainly wasn't, he wasn't willing to like support this idea and help me build it. And so, yeah. so, you know, I'd found a group of people who did believe in me and who wanted to support me and that was through science. And so I, you know, and they were based in LA and that's, in LA also, is just the best environment for an esports startup. And so, you know, I moved here and, and, and honestly, it's been the best decision yeah. I've made. I don't know if there's a world where Play Versus has a home in Detroit. I love to be able to build computer labs or esports arenas within schools in Detroit, and in fact, I was just speaking with Erin Teague, who's over at YouTube, and just is amazing. Hopefully, she comes and works with us one day. I'm manifesting that. Yeah, um, she used to be at Yahoo, right? Yeah, and then she, I mean, she was at Twitter. She was at Yahoo. Yeah. She was at Path. She is. She is one of the most underrated. Um, oh yeah, under acknowledged. She was one of the first people
0: I ever knew in Silicon like, Valley, like knew of. Like she was a hero. You're at this point now, and we'll. I do want to talk a little bit more about the the actual where the capital will go and things like that. But you're at this point. You're 27 years old. You've raised nearly 100 million dollars in a two year period. Uh, you work hard, and I want to make sure people get that because I, I come across as like it's handed to you, but I see wow, you no, like in the sure. trenches, yeah. and I've seen that for, since day one. Yeah. But what motivates? What gets you out of bed?
1: Well, I think the the one thing that I'm most grateful for is like the people I get to work with. It's not every day like that, you know, people, people have an idea, they build onto that idea, and then they get to work with really amazing people. Who, who sacrifice a ton, who give a ton to to try to realize that idea. Right. And so I have that privilege. There's 41 of them today and they're they're unbelievable. They inspire me. They motivate me. I learn from them. And so, you know, I spend all of my time only thinking about play versus only working on play versus because of them. And so mm. uh, the team, the team that I have is uh, is the thing that gets me out of bed every day.
0: Hey podcast listeners, I'm doing a little experiment as you may have seen online recently. I want to incentivize you to leave a comment on Apple Podcasts and also give you a little gift for doing so, for taking the time out. I want you to leave an authentic review for your first million on Apple Podcasts. And when you do so, send me a message can DM me on Instagram. Arlen was here. A-R-L-A-N was here on Instagram. You can reach out to me by email or you can DM me on Twitter. Same handle. Arlen was here. Let me know your t-shirt size, your mailing address, and your full name. And let me know that you filled out a review for your first million on Apple. Right now it's for Apple only. And once you do that, we'll take your information down and we'll get a shirt out to you over the next few days. All right, everybody. Looking forward to seeing you in those shirts. I definitely want to go back because I read that you were something around 13. Not just working, but starting your own business.
1: So when I was 13, I actually started to work at a cell phone store. It was a uh, Sprint and Nextel retailer.
0: How How is that even legal?
1: I don't know if it was legal, by the way. He used to pay me in <laughs> I cash. Mean, somebody's going to get in say. trouble. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's not. Let's not. Let's not. I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> I was just talking to him actually the other day. Well, it's he in print,
0: me. man. It's in um, print. So. No,
1: it's... Uh, No, it was amazing. It was one of the best experiences that that I had in my life. Um, My mom had a friend who owned a cell phone store and she introduced me to him because she wanted me and my brother when we weren't playing sports to not be in the neighborhood. And um, so she got my brother a job at this meatpacking place around the corner from our house called Meat Town. And she got me a job at the cell phone store. And initially the job started off as like holding the sign, sort of dancing outside. I hated that part of the job. It was a very humbling and it requires a lot of effort, to be honest. I have a, a great deal of respect for the people who have to do that and decide to do that oh, to make yeah. a living um, it evolved to clean in the store and do an inventory and eventually he taught me sales And so he taught me how to sell phones. He started to teach me about general operations of a store, people management. And as his scope of like the scope of his stores grew, like as he started to own more stores, like my responsibility also grew. And I'd saved every penny that I made throughout that process. And, you know, I decided that I wanted to own my own store. And so I went to every store. The first thing I did is like after that decision, like I went to every store sort of around our area. And basically went in with this sort of binder, this black leather binder with all of these reports and data and like kind of my pitch around like, hey, look, I know you guys are underperforming. I'd love to like help you guys you know, reset and and build a better, and, store, and right? better wise, store. I was 16. 16. Yeah. And lots of people laughed at me. Some people took me serious, but we just found that the, the economics didn't make sense. And eventually there was this lady that I worked with. Metro PCS was just starting to move into Michigan. And there was this lady I worked with who worked at Metro PCS, who ended up uh, like she left the stores and like work, went to go work for Metro PCS. And she ended up introducing me to uh, two guys who, whose family had um, like strip plazas. And so they had wow. access to, real estate they were older than I was so they were able to get the license but they were they just didn't know anything about the business and they were sort of from these privileged families and basically tasked to like do something and they wanted to start a cell phone store and so we came together, put our resources together. We started the stores. One store turned to three stores. We ran them, we sold them. Uh, It was a good experience. And uh, I did a lot of work in that process, but uh, that was one of the first times I felt like very fulfilled. Like, uh, you know, I saw I was putting in labor and I started to see the fruits of that labor. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I felt good about that.
0: Do you ever, I imagine you have some founders that come up to you, new founders who come up to you because they've seen, read about you or something. What do you say to the ones who kind of are really new, who are looking for mentors or looking for some sort of investment, but that you don't see in them what you w- were willing to do.
1: Oh, that's interesting. I don't. I don't go to many events, so I don't. I don't end up, end up interacting with as many founders as, as one would think. But man, that's a that's an interesting situation. The first thing is like I wouldn't lie to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Like, there's, there's two things. Like, one, I, I would tell them, like, I'm not in the position to be a mentor, right? Because I'm a founder. Like, I'm building my own company. I already have to interact with a lot of people, whether it be our community, our teachers, our parents, or my employees. It, I wouldn't be able to be my best version to them, like, if I had to add them to that list of people I also need to service every day. And so that'd be, like, the first thing I would say. The second is that I would just be honest about how, you know, I personally feel about either their idea or them as a person. And they're like and give them, you know, feedback I think could be helpful, but also advise them that like this is just my general thoughts and not and not the Bible. Because, you know, I had an entrepreneur that I idolized uh who was one of Dan Gilbert's partners. And I once pitched him, like when I was 20. Maybe 19 or 20 years old Pitched him an idea That I had He essentially told me That I wasn't capable Of building it And that put me In a slump after Because mm. I was like This guy that I admire Told me that I couldn't do this thing That I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying And I want to do And and I recognize The effects that that Can have on entrepreneurs Especially young And new or inexperienced Entrepreneurs And so While I would give them Honest feedback I would also Make sure I give The disclaimer that Like just because I said yeah. This doesn't mean That this is, this is Bible Like yeah. you guys You go out And you build against it and, Yeah and, I would say if my
0: no can stop you, then you probably weren't meant to meant to be. One hundred percent. Yeah. What do you think about when it comes to esports? I'm I'm just kind of d- dwelling a little bit on the, the the form of it. What do you think about health as a as physical a group? Health. Physical health. Now, there's a whole other thing about the mental, mental health, health yep. when it comes to. I'm actually interested right now in the physical health of it because it isn't. It's safer. Than knocking helmets, sure. which I think is wonderful. I get scared every time my little my little nephew goes out in the field, but it's also dormant. Yeah. What do you yeah, think
1: about no, that? I mean, look, that's a fair assessment. So what I what I'd say is that one, like physical health is super, super important to our company. We actually have resources and guys where we recommend to our coaches who is their responsibility to, in, to ensure that kids are are meeting that those like doing exercises and they're meeting those standards that they should ensure that kids get physical like exercise right so they should do cardio they should do weight exercises they should do exercises that professional esports athletes do to make sure that they're in the best shape the second thing i would say uh is that just from like a general kind of stigma is that like Esports athletes, especially at the professional level, like they're typically in great shape, like better yeah. shape than Why? I am for sure. Why are they? Yeah, look, I think it's healthy body, healthy mind. Um, mm. it's the exact same thing. Like the just because they're sitting in the chair, like they they have to like it, they have one a lot of hand movement, right, between yeah. their mouse and their keyboard. Like um and they're the also making very yeah, the yeah, they're making incredible like such fast-paced decisions yeah. as they play, right? And their community they have to be able to communicate with four or five or six other people. Yeah. And so that just requires them to be in great shape, right? Yeah. For them to be able to perform at the best of their ability. Teams also have nutritionists. They have physical therapists. They have trainers on staff to ensure that like their athletes are, are being well taken care of, just as they are in traditional sports. And so I think there's a stigma around physical health and physical exercise just not matter in any sports. Well, in fact, like, you know, it's a, a great priority to not mm-hmm. only us in the amateur space, but also the professional organizations. Yeah.
0: And I know there's some people listening to this that are like, Ireland doesn't know anything about esports. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, but sure, no, this, like, no, this is a thing yeah. that
1: people say. So yeah. I, I, this is a very general sort of yeah. uh, question that yeah, people because I up. And I
0: think that you've helped me have a little bit more um, respect for it. Cause when I think of it, as I understand stand it, it's like, okay, they're playing video games. Why do they need a coach and why do they need this? It's video games. It's a, t- a talent because I grew up watching The Wizard. Sure. And that's a talent, you know, but... I think I understand a little bit better. It's just, it's like the new gener, it's a new generation. It's a sport.
1: I mean, yeah. all games, all games, every, every sport started off as a game. The community developed it into a sport. Like that the sport is a designation. Yeah. Right. And so it's no different in video games. Like people yeah. play this competitively and there are people who are really, really good
0: at it. So what happens next for you and what happens next for play versus? <sighs>
1: it's a, it's a lot to unpack there. I think, yeah. um, uh, look, for Play Versus, I'll start there. Like, you know, we believe that we're building a hundred million plus user subscription business, right? And like, we think that uh, that becomes a single platform where people come together uh, around esports, playing in different types of formats, high school or otherwise, in the United States and, and elsewhere. And we're excited to be able to unlock that. Um, and we're very motivated to achieving that goal. The one thing I think that we're most excited about as it relates to unlocking that goal, it's like the impact that we're able to have, like the material impact we're able to have on kids and and just people alike. You know, we had a parent who who visited us from Massachusetts with her son because her son had made the junior varsity League of Legends team uh, this past school year. And she flew out on her own dime just to come and meet our team. And it was such an incredible experience. You know, I walked out the conference room, um, turned the corner, put my hand out to say hello to her. And she just, you know, started crying. And it was, she was so emotional because she believed based on her kid participating in, in our previous season, you know, his life has been improved. Like mm-hmm. she, cause she's with him every Every day so like she sees all of these tangible improvements and mm-hmm. in, in how he performs in school and now he has friends and just like all of these ways that he's been affected by being a part of the play versus community and we're we're pumped about that like that, that makes this entire thing all of the sacrifices we make worth it you know we had a kid today a coach we, every every Monday we have an all hands and then that all hands we do internal acknowledgements and then we do an external acknowledgement and, um, and today there was one from a coach at Lafayette High School I'm not sure exactly what state That's in, but uh, there's this coach who wrote in and said that there was a kid who had 70 behavioral referrals over the past two years in school, so like he's getting in trouble very frequently, and since he joined the esports team. That seventy was reduced to seven, mm. and that's life changing. Yeah, you know, to a kid who, I, who's I, always in trouble. I would
0: imagine that it also it helps to level the playing field too, because the same thought process that gets me to something being unhealthy also kids who didn't feel like they were that very athletically inclined, sure. now have a chance at excelling it.
1: Yeah, I mean, we had a kid who had uh, no arms played the video game with his feet, who played yeah. next to a baseball player. Like, yeah. there's like, there's that's
0: a, that's that I think that's, th- that's it. super powerful. That's That's the secret sauce. Not that you invented esports, but that's the secret sauce. That's what... Change, makes this the next several decades oh of yeah
1: for sure I think like it's super inclusive it's gender uh, co-ed so it's like there's yeah. no gender boundaries right yeah. it's co-ed sport boys and girls on the same yeah. team also competing against each other and it also is just more accessible right like like sports aren't scalable in high school right there's 16 million kids every year who go to high school only 8 million play in sports not because like they don't have the athletic ability or the interest There's just aren't room for them to play you know there's boys and girls there's varsity JV freshmen in there, and there's roster limitations and so what we're able to build is an environment where any kid who wants to play can play Mm. Um, and they can be recognized for their talents and passions. And I think that that's that's a community worth celebrating. And so uh, for Play Versus, like we want to continue to build a really big business, but we also want to continue to impact people to great effect. Uh, For me personally, that means like all of my time is going to be spent on doing that and achieving that, uh, finding, you know, great product and engineering talent and talent in CX and BD and marketing to help us support our community. And, you know, hopefully like I'm able to also just grow as a CEO and grow as a person to be able to support the people that we bring on. And so um, that's uh, that's my focus. And, and that's our focus as a company.
0: And you see the next few years being all, all about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, the next decade, if it takes that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And ha- if someone's listening and they have a child in high school or they are a child in high school or they just want to know how to get in touch to bring you to their school, how do they do that?
1: If you're looking to reach me directly, you can reach me on both Twitter and Instagram at Delane. So at D-E-L-A-N-E. If you're a parent or a coach or an administrator or a student interested in esports, you can learn more about PlayVersus on our website www.playversus.com that's p o a y v s.com. I think we're also at PlayVersus on both Instagram and Twitter as well and we and we always respond so Reach out and to you us. have a
0: team that's there w- waiting to hear from them and that helps you actually grow too because that's a way of having fun with this but also supporting what yeah,
1: you're doing. Yeah, 100%. We have an entire CX and community team dedicated to support in our community. And In fact, I mean, we just started a wait list over the summer because we never had a wait list before and there's 68% of the schools in the country signed up to build esports programs. That's How a, cool That's is over that? 13,000 schools. It's actually I think the exact number is 1,000 shy of the number of schools who play football. And so in such a short period of time, when you Think about that, like in terms of scale. We we started operating last October, so in less than one year of actually operating our first product seasons in high schools, we've already grown to have just as much interest as as in esports for that, than football, right? So like it's uh, it's pretty excited, and there's obviously a lot of work to do to onboard and activate all of those schools, but but we've had a lot of success, a lot of growth, and this this fall we're really excited to turn on states like California and others, and to really bring esports to every high school in the country.
0: When you do become a billionaire, can I go on your yacht?
1: One hundred percent. All right, cool. I'll give it to you for okay. a day. Oh, for a day. Well, okay. I guess like a couple of days because you you totally need like a whole weekend trip. Yeah. So you my the family. I would say so. Would say so. Yeah. I'll just take
0: my little jet ski from my yacht and
1: perfect. Per- yeah, whatever, whatever you want, <laughs> we can swap. We do a yacht swap. A no, show. I think you
0: are. I think you are absolutely going places, and you've already been. So, thank you. Uh, I really appreciate that. Thank you for being on the show.
1: Yeah, no, hundred percent. Thank you.
0: Hey, so I'd love to talk to you and keep the conversation going. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Arlen was here. That's A-R-L-A-N was here. Stick around too because I will let you know when my new book is going to be in pre-order. Now that's coming out in uh, 2020. It'll be out as the real book. Oh my goodness. and it'll be, you'll be able to pre-order it most likely this year. So stay tuned. I'll let you know all about that on Twitter, on Instagram, and on this podcast.